my objective in this khutbah is to share something you some of you might find strange ramadan is getting closer and usually when hajj season is getting closer we start talking about ibrahim alayhi salam but it is Actually, pretty usual practice for me that as Ramadan gets closer, I start thinking a lot about Ibrahim alayhi salam. And uh, there's a reason for that. Of course, Ibrahim alayhi salam built the Kaaba, and as he was building the Kaaba, he, you know, and he made this dua for people's hearts to turn towards that house. So that people's hearts would turn towards that Kaaba. And Believers around the world, if they haven't had a chance to see the house of Allah, it is their great desire to have the opportunity to go visit the house of Allah. And that's why the entire institution, this magnanimous institution of Hajj, is actually in a sense a result of the effort and more, even more importantly, the dua of Ibrahim salam. We're living the dua of Ibrahim salam when we're seeing Hajj and when we're performing Hajj. But actually, just like that, there's another very profound dua of Ibrahim salam that he made as he was building the foundations or elevating the foundations of the Haram of the Kaaba along with his son Ismail after passing all of the tests Allah gave him this task to build the Kaaba with his son Ismail and this is at the end of all of the tests right and as he's building it he says ya rabbana wab'ath fihim rasulan minhum our our rabb send a messenger from among them that them refers to the offspring of Ibrahim and Ismail together. So Ibrahim salam, as we know has other children including Ishaq salam. Ishaq is not part of this conversation. Ismail is part of this conversation. Now Ishaq salam, is a prophet. And Ishaq will have a child, Yaqub, who's a prophet. Yaqub will have a child, Yusuf, who's a prophet. So actually, in a narration of the Prophet it's actually, or in the Quran, from Ishaq, every generation had a prophet. So they kept on getting prophets non-stop, like a continuous chain. But Allah is, Ibrahim is not asking about his son Ishaq right now. He's building the Kaaba with his son Ismail. And as he's building this Kaaba, he's making a dua, Ya Allah, send a single messenger among them. So now on one side with his haq, multiple prophets, multiple, multiple prophets. From the line of Ismail, he's asking for how many? Just one. Rasulam minhum. Yatlu alayhim ayatika. What will that messenger do? He will read your ayat onto the people. And he will, he'll teach them the book, he'll teach them wisdom, and he'll purify them. That is the dua for Muhammad Rasulullah. That will come eventually, thousands of years later, and will recite the ayat of Allah, the Quran, right at that house where he was making dua with his son Ismail 
thousands of years ago, what is it that we are celebrating in Ramadan? We're celebrating the coming of the Quran, which actually means we're celebrating the fulfillment of the other dua of Ibrahim alayhi salam. So actually, Hajj is an answer to one of the du'as of Ibrahim And Ramadan is the answer and the celebration to the answer of the other du'a of Ibrahim Now having said that, it's very interesting, I, you know, ever since TikTok blew up, I've been watching a lot of TikTok. And it's, you know, you could think it's a, it's a waste of time, but actually TikTok's also very educational. Some of the leading intellectuals and scientists and thinkers and professors and you know uh, scholars are actually posting some really interesting research and findings on TikTok also. So it's it's created a platform for unique kinds of conversation. And one of the kinds of conversations that happen on TikTok is why people start doubting their religion. And there's a lot of conversations like that about Jews who left Judaism and Christians who left Christianity and of course Muslims who are doubting Islam. But I became very curious about Christians and Jews who start having doubts about their faith, especially American Christians and you know, European Christians, etc. And one of the most common questions they have, they can't get their head around Abraham. They have a problem with Abraham. They say, what kind of God makes you kill your own child? I mean, how sick, why would you want, you've called this God loving and caring and merciful and he wants you to slaughter your own child? as a show of what? Loyalty to him? And they're disgusted by this idea. And they use this idea to say, I don't want to believe in a God like that. I don't want to believe in a God that wants you to kill your own child. Right? Now, of course, Muslims, we believe in that story too. It's the Quran. I see in my dream that I'm slaughtering you. And the son says, If Do what you're told. I'm going to share a couple of quick things with, with you about this story, and I'll make it even more disturbing for you before we solve the problem. Okay, so the, the Qur'an's version is actually even more problematic if you want to look at it from the Christian mind or the, the, the skeptic mind. Ibrahim in his childhood, when, when, a, when a child is young, their protection, their ultimate protection comes from the father. Baba, where's Baba? You want to just run to your dad. And your dad will protect you no matter what. Right? If you're scared. Your mom and your dad, but even more because the dad is the protector of the entire family. So your dad. Ibrahim salam as a child is being kicked out of his home. Is he not? By his, by his own father. So the one, as a child, the source of your protection is now abandoning you. He's de denying you the basic right of being protected as a child. That's pretty bad. So he's suffering from the trauma of abandonment as a child. And then on top of that, make it worse, when he destroyed all of their idols, and there was a decision, a communal decision, that we're going to burn him alive. Guess who's also part of the decision-making process who says, yes, he deserves to be burned alive? His own father. His own father. And this is when Allah says, فَلَمَّا تَبَيَّنَ لَهُ أَنَّهُ عَدُوٌ لِلَّهِ it became clear to Ibrahim also that he is also an enemy of Allah. Allah does not call every disbeliever an enemy of Allah. But when someone goes beyond just disbelieving and tries to do harm, then they become an enemy of Allah. And here you are killing, attempting to kill a Prophet of Allah. This is now you're an enemy of Allah. Now, 
your own father didn't just abandon you, he also tried to kill you. Now what happens in children's lives if that was done to them by their father? Two things happen. One, that young man, as he grows up, he says, I will never be like my father. I will never abandon my child and I will never hurt my child. I will make sure I am nothing like my dad or they become exactly like their dad. One of two things happen. Either they repeat the mistakes of the father or they live their life trying to be the opposite of their father. You can imagine Ibrahim must have in his heart the opposite intention. Meaning, I will never do to my child what my father did to me as a child. And what did Allah test him with? First, he tells them to leave his child, tell them to leave his child in the desert. He's telling him to abandon his child, something he experienced when he was a child, and no doubt he must have promised himself, I will never abandon my child in the lessons, but what if I tell you to? Do it. That's bad enough. But the second was it's the second one's worse. His father tried to kill him. Throw him in a fire. And Allah says, Allah shows him in a dream multiple times, what should you do with your own child? Kill your child. And now he's being tested with that. The question then arises, why is Ibrahim being given such a painful test? Like, we know these tests, but maybe sometimes we don't connect these tests to his own childhood. His own childhood had the opposite, he was the receiving end of these tests. And now he has to repeat them? And Allah is telling him to repeat them? This is a terribly, terribly difficult test. So a couple of things that I want to help you understand, and I'll add one more curious question to this problem. The nation, the angels came to the house of Ibrahim when he was very old. And they told him after some conversation that they are here to kill everybody in the nation of Lut, except a few. And Ibrahim questioned their decision. Why are you killing them? And there's a back and forth, like this is the same Ibrahim Allah says about him, when Allah said to him, surrender, every time Allah says to him, surrender, he surrenders. But when the angels came and said, we're going to kill everybody in the nation of Lut, he didn't surrender. And the question arises, you are arguing, Ya Ibrahim, you're arguing to save the lives of the nation of Lut, but you didn't argue a few years later when Allah told you to kill your own child. What is this? How come sometimes you surrender, sometimes you don't surrender? We need to understand. In the case of the nation of Lut, in that case, it was clear that they are criminals. And as a result of their crime, Allah decided this punishment. And it is in the nature of every prophet that even though the qawm is worthy of punishment, they beg for them to be forgiven anyway. They somehow try to make some negotiation on behalf of their people. Even though they know they're bad. Even though they know, and he's, that's not even his people, but he's still trying to, is there any way I can negotiate something? That's part of the rahmah Allah put inside the hearts of prophets. But the, there's a cause and effect. There's a re, they're sinful, they're, they've deserved it. And he's questioning whether that can be delayed or minimized or some kind of conversation can happen. 
On the other hand, when he sees the dream that his son is to be slaughtered, his son is not a sinner. His son is not a rebel against Allah. This is a command from Allah, and Allah didn't say, and here is why he deserves to be slaughtered. There's no reasoning. Some commandments of Allah, Allah gives reason. Some commandments of Allah, Allah gives no reason. When Allah gives no reason, there's no room to negotiate. There's no room to ask questions. And he understands that. He gets it right away. But that still doesn't answer the question, why give Ibrahim such unthinkable kinds of tests? Actually, this is where we depart. And it's, it's similar, but it's actually so profoundly different from the Christian tradition. In the Christian tradition, Jesus gets tortured and killed so that the followers of Jesus, their sins are paid for. Right? So the blood of Jesus paid for his followers' sins. That's the idea, right? It's not quite that idea, but it's actually quite a profound transformation of that idea. Ibrahim was given tests in his life that no other prophet was ever given. No prophet was told to kill their child. No prophet was told to himself jump into a fire willingly, allow, allow himself to be thrown into a fire. If that would come for any other prophet, there would be hijrah before them. Before they're ready to come and take you and throw you into a fire, Allah would tell that prophet, migrate, get away. Like Musa salam, they were ready to kill him. Make it up before that. Not with Ibrahim I'm going to let you be thrown into the fire. I'm going to let you be thrown. No prophet is told, leave your family. And the, the only time a prophet is told to leave their family is where, when they're among the kuffar, like the wife of Nuh and the wife of Nuh. This is unique to Ibrahim No other prophet to make a point breaks idols. Even if there was false religion in the nation of Salih or the nation of Shu'ayb, other nations, they, they didn't go break the temple's idols to make a point. Nobody did da'wah like this. No other prophet in the Quran made da'wah by pointing at the sun and the moon ready and say things like, Hada Rabbi, Hada Akbar. La This kind of demonstration, this must be God, this is bigger. Oh, this one must be God, this is bigger. Just to demonstrate how silly that religion was. No prophet did this before him. The way he makes his case, the way that he is tested, the way that Allah put him through his seerah is like no other prophet. Not before him, not after him. He's in a unique position by And no other prophet by himself, alayhi salam, was called an ummah. Now what did Allah teach us about that unique way in which Ibrahim, alayhi salam, was tested? Even if you look at the language, those of you that are familiar with the Arabic, when Allah says, subhanahu wa ta'ala, اِذِبْتَلَى إِبْرَاهِيمَ رَبُّهُ بِكَلِمَاتِ Allah could have said, اِذِبْتَلَى رَبُّهُ إِبْرَاهِيمَ Right? But Allah says, إِذِبْتَلَى إِبْرَاهِيمَ مُقَدَّمْ المفعول مُقَدَّمْ رَبُّهُ As if to say, Ibrahim was tested like nobody else was tested. When Allah especially, uniquely tested Ibrahim, his Rabb, uniquely tested Ibrahim with certain instructions. And even the word kalimat, it is not al-kalimat. That would be ma'roof عند الناس, وعند al-anbiya. But it's kalimat, there's some special instructions that are just for Ibrahim salam. But what is the point of that? The point of that in the Quran seems to be that he will become an example for the children of Ismail that will have the final prophet, Muhammad Rasulullah Why? Because they will look at his legacy and they will learn that if Allah can make those tests easy for Ibrahim, what is he asking us by comparison? Is he asking us to kill our children? 
Is he asking us to leave our family in the middle of a desert? Is he asking us to jump in a fire? He didn't ask any of those things. I started this khutbah by saying there are two institutions that are tied to Ibrahim salam: The Hajj and Ramadan. The Hajj and Ramadan. Look at the language of Hajj. When Allah talks about Hajj, oh by the way, if you can't make two days, فَمَنْ تَعَجَّلَ فِي يَوْمِينَ فَلَا إِثْمَ عَلَيْهِ وَمَنْ تَأَخَرَ فَلَا إِثْمَ عَلَيْهِ لَيْسَ عَلَيْكُمْ جُنَاحٌ أَنْ تَبْدَغُ فَضْلٍ مِنْ رَبِّكُمْ فَإِذَا فَضْلٌ مِنْ عَرَفَاتٍ Multiple times, even though Hajj is tough, Allah puts lots and lots of conditions inside Hajj to make it easier and easier and easier. Over and over again. This is supposed to be the thing that's difficult. And if you study the language of Hajj, multiple times, there is ease and ease and ease and ease. And then when it comes to Ramadan, what does Allah say? And the ultimate example of this to me comes at the end of Surah Al-Hajj. Where Allah says, وَمَا جَعَلَ عَلَيْكُمْ فِي الدِّينِ مِنْ حَرَجٍ مِلَّةَ أَبِيكُمْ إِبْرَاهِيمٌ He put those two things together. It's called كَمَالُ الْإِتِّصَالِ he says, he didn't put any difficulty in the religion for you. You are the continuity of the religion of your father, Ibrahim. Learn from Ibrahim, and basically what that means is, you ain't got no excuse. Because he was actually tested. By comparison, you've been given something that isn't tough at all. And every time you think your religion is hard, remind yourself of who? Ibrahim salam, and you will remember how easy your deen has been made for you. How profoundly easy it has been made for you. And if Allah can make those impossible tasks easy for Ibrahim salam, then Allah will make any difficulty for you easy. Allah will put ease for you. So actually, it is true. He was tested like nobody else. But that was for the benefit of the rest of humanity. That was actually a rahmah that Allah had given to Ibrahim salam and through him to all of us. May Allah Azza make us committed to the religion of our father Ibrahim salam and have us fulfill the sunnah of his profound messenger Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Barakallahu wa lakum. alaykum Hey guys, you just watched a small clip of me explaining the Qur'an in depth as part of the Deeper Look series. Studying the Qur'an in depth can seem like a really intimidating thing that's only meant for scholars. Our job at Bayina is to make deeper study of the Qur'an, accessible and easy for all of you. So take us up on that challenge. Join us for this study, the deeper look of the Qur'an, for this surah and many other surahs on BayinaTV.com under the deeper look section.